Welcome to an episode of the Tiffo Mahapi Show hosted by myself. The show explores the impact, whether famously or infamously, some of my guests have had on the world. I believe that opening businesses and, and the healthy capitalism without the corporations which destroy the environment, etc. I think be naive to say that we've completely overcome any polarizing or divisive issues on a racial front. We thank you for taking some time out to listen to the podcast. It's been about three or four years that I first spoke to you and I've been meaning to ask, how did you, like, what got you to getting interested in data breaches and eventually starting? Yeah, mostly accidents. I, I started writing a blog in 2009 and it was, it's not something I expected to really be anything serious, but I was just writing about things that I found were interesting. And I was just generally gravitating towards infosec because I just found, uh, I mean, I was mostly writing for developers and I just found that there was not very much content at all for developers. And then some of the infosec stuff I was writing started to look at data breaches. Like I was looking at the Sony Pictures data breach and the Gorka data breach and going, ah, oh, isn't it really interesting how you have the same people in both data breaches and they use the same password. So, ah, shock. <laughs> but it's something quite different to actually have the tangible data there as opposed to just knowing that people reuse passwords. And uh, it just sort of rolled on from there. I write a few things about data breaches. Have I been pwned started as a curiosity? And then, of course, that became a big thing. And that's, that's kind of where we are now. It's interesting. I mean, and also, uh, I think, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, as time goes on, do you think like eventually as data breaches come on, as you said, different, you find like the same people in different data breaches, you might have like most of the email addresses across the world. <laughs> well, there's this 10.6 billion records in Have I Been Pwned and there's a roughly two to one ratio of breaches to email addresses. So, you know, let's call it 5 billion something email addresses. I haven't seen the figures lately, but I don't think there's actually 5 billion people in the world on the internet with an email address yet. So there's there's a couple of things here. I mean, number one is that many of us have had multiple email addresses before. Uh, and the other thing is, is that we're getting a lot more people, a lot more email addresses. And of course, when I look at an email address or something that meets the pattern of an email address, it might not necessarily be an actual legitimate email address from someone's mailbox. I've had many times before where people do domain searches and they say, hey, look, there's no sales at troyhunt.com, <laughs> you know, so I don't know why that's in there. Well, spammers, do spammy things and they make up these addresses and you know some of them hit and, and that's good for them and and others just don't go anywhere as more and more people come onto the internet and obviously get email addresses do you think as they sign up to these services to gmail to facebook and all these online services it's almost as if it's inevitable that any organization that signs up people will eventually suffer one form of a data breach or information security incident or another, or is it completely preventable? I think we've got to, we've got to break into two parts. So it is highly likely that anyone who is on the internet and uses the internet to do normal internet things will appear in a data breach at some time. Now they're sort of carefully caveated terms I've used here, but I find that when people are doing searches on have I been pwned, roughly 50% or more do actually have a hit. So, you know, I call it even odds that any given email address is going to actually appear in a data breach. Now, can the organization for whom that person works and has an email address do anything about that? You know, like short of telling people not to go and sign up to places. No, it'd be a little bit like saying to me, you know, hey, what can I do to stop my email address appearing in data breaches? Well, the only thing I can do is like not put the email address into websites, but I want to buy 
beer online and I want to go on holidays and I want to comment on forums and things like this. So consequently, I do end up having accounts in places. The, the flip side to the question, of course, is, well, what about organizations who become the first party to a breach, who are breached themselves? Well, yes, there's a lot that they can do not to be breached. We have a lot of very well-established secure coding practices and secure configuration practices. We've got a lot of very common sense things. Uh, yeah, don't put your database in a publicly facing network segment. Don't back your databases up onto a publicly facing service or things like that. So every single time, we've got to remember, like every single time there's one of these data breaches, one or more things have been screwed up. Like a human has made errors somewhere along the line, either through code, through config, because they trusted another human who made mistakes because they're using a library with a vulnerability. Like there's always a mistake that's made somewhere. And I'm firmly of the belief that we can stop making mistakes. Interesting view, because I've always thought that, and I haven't even thought deeper about it, that as more and more people come on and as services become bigger, it's almost inevitable that some human being, as you said, will screw up because that's <laughs> looking at all the breaches it's always human error most of the time it's never well, an attack yeah. from the most of them not all of them but from it's never an attack from the outside where somebody is maliciously trying to get hold of the data it's always a case of something wasn't patched something wasn't updated or a database was online or something to that effect but hey let's make it fun let me ask you the questions sure. when was the last time you saw a breach where there was no human error involved anyway. It's been years. Okay, well, what was it? You know, years. Okay, come on, I'm going to push you on this. Like, when have we had a breach that hasn't been due to someone screwing something up? I have to think hard. Uh, I, I can save you the effort, like never. Uh, <laughs> there's there's always, always something. Yeah. And it, it, it's not just breaches in the traditional sense of someone breaking through vulnerabilities in software. It's a breach because yeah. someone left their laptop in the car and it had a whole yeah. bunch of customer data and someone stole it. You know, someone printed out a whole bunch of paperwork and then threw it in the trash can and didn't shred it properly. Like there is always a mistake somewhere. And I, I, I'm just sort of re-emphasizing this because if we re recognize that everything we see breach-wise is due to a mistake somewhere, then there's always something we can fix. If, if we got to the true. point where we're like, well, there's absolutely nothing we could have done to stop this, it's like we might as well just give up now and go home. True, true. So, well, I like the messaging you're giving. So you saying that, well, not you saying that, it is possible that we can bring this down to almost zero if we eliminate the human element. It is because we can look at every single incident and we can say what went wrong Let's not do that again. <laughs> now, in, in fairness as well, some of these incidents we see are highly sophisticated or are very difficult to prevent. An insider threat is a good example. Like if there's someone in your organization, a position of privilege where they're controlling access to information and someone offers them enough money and they pick it up and they go and sell the data. Okay, that is a very, very difficult problem to solve, but there are mitigating controls for that. Lots of mitigating controls. And then depending on the nature of the service and the threat and the, the value of the data, there are different things that we can do to prevent it. Cool. Well, I, I agree. I actually agree somehow, even though I had a different thought initially. Now, I mean, running have I been poor and probably you've received, I know we receive weird requests or weird questions. What's some of the weirdest stuff that people have emailed you about or to, to, uh, to you about? I mean, one of the ones that comes to mind that happens all the time is, is people go, you know, look, I was in a data breach. Can you help me remove my data from the internet? It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible. You know, the, the analogy I use is like, it's it's like trying to remove pee from a pool, right? It's like, yeah, and then someone true. said to me recently, they said, well, you could drain the pool. It's like, yeah, you want to drain the internet? You know, Everybody, like what's yeah, left? That's it's just like, okay. Yeah. Screw it, chuck it all out, go from square one. So, well, obviously that's that's never going to happen. So, um, so that one comes up quite a bit. Th to be honest, like one of the most common questions that I just don't have good answers for, and no one else does at the moment either, is can I see the data? 
where people say, look, no. someone has gotten my data. I mean, there's a really good case where there's a, a data aggregator that's had an alleged breach that I put in Have I Been Pwned very recently, a company called Astoria Company. Now, there's a bunch of weird things around this, but there's a whole bunch of data there, 11 million email addresses, various personal attributes against them. And people quite rightly say, well, can you tell me what it is? You know, can you show me the data? And in a case like this in particular, the, the company said, look, there appears to have been an incident, but they don't believe it's quite the scope that's being reported. Uh, so they don't have the data for the people. The only one with the data is me and the person that gave it to me, as far as I know. And I'm certainly not about to go and put what is, in this case, financial records and health data and social security numbers. I'm not going to go and put it on the internet so you can query it, no matter how much verification you do. Yeah, yeah. We don't have good models at the moment, even when there is a clear data breach and a clearly attributable source where someone can go and say, give me my data. And I think that that is a shortcoming that we have in the industry. Interesting. I think one of the recent weird requests, again, it's similar to can I see data that it was from, and it usually happens, I, I hate to say it, it usually happens from Nigeria. And this is not prejudice from myself. So you remember that sure bad breach? That, mm-hmm. Absolutely. That, so I think it was about four, four weeks ago during February, somebody emailed from a Gmail account and said, uh, I'm working with the police in Nigeria. Can you, you know, send us the data? We're working with the NITDA, the agency. Mm. I'm like, no, I can't send you. But if you send me from... Uh, from your domain as the police services, happy to help, you know, and also copy yep. the guys that we work with. And he disappeared. And that usually happens quite a lot. Somebody so always trying to take chances and, and get the data. One of the uh, one of the things I lament about this, I actually did a tweet storm just yesterday, very, very similar thing, where I had the uh, allegedly the Australian Taxation Office calling my fiancé, wanting to question her about things. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> and I eventually got to the point where like I got on the call as well. And like, she's freaked out because she's Norwegian and she's like a foreigner here. And she's like, Oh my God, they're going to kick me out of the country because of something. And I was like, no, look, this, this sounds like a scam. And I speak to the, the person who is allegedly from the ATO and I'm saying to her, look, you know, this, this sounds like a scam. I'm going to just call you back on the number on the ATO webpage. Oh no, 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 that's not the right number. Let me give you the number. No, I don't know how that works. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Anyway, so it turns out it was legitimate. And the, the tweet storm was about that part of the problem we have is that legitimate organizations, let's say hypothetically people who do work with the Nigerian police, demonstrate all of the signals that we tell people to watch for in scams. So h- how do we educate people not to look like they're mounting a phishing attack when legitimate organizations look like they're mounting a phishing attack? <laughs> and also, if it's me who sits here and I can't tell the difference, what's it going to be like for the normal everyday person out there? Yeah, that's true. That's scary also. I mean, it's also scary with another thing, just speaking to this point of organizations acting like they're phishing. Sometimes we tell organizations, don't use URL shortness because mm. you, you, you're teaching your customers or whoever is interacting with you a bad habit of not being able to check the destination URL. So you keep telling them, this InfoSec department keeps telling them, don't click on links that are not official, yet you keep sending them links that don't look like they're going to your domain. And that's quite and, cool, because that's what fish, people will fish do. And I, I agree with you. And that there are two issues I have with that. So no, number one, URL shorteners are often obfuscate something of a completely different nature behind it. But the other issue I have is that what we are both implying here is that if you were to put the correct URL of the company, normal people could look at it and they could make an accurate judgment call on whether it is the correct URL or not. 
and they, they can't. <laughs> I wrote something about this recently where it's like, everyone, including me, is bad at reading URLs. I saw a really, really good talk by a, a Google security engineer who worked on the Chrome team a few years ago and at a conference in Hawaii. And she was showing like four different URLs that are allegedly the Google blog. And she's like, okay, you tell me, which one's the Google blog? And one's like blog.google and one's google.blog and one's googleblog.com. And it's like, yeah. I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. So how we expect normal people to figure that out is beyond me. Now, in terms of uh, data breaches, just staying on the topic of data breaches, has, have you seen, I mean, with Have I Been Porn, I'm sure you see statistics and you can see patterns. Has there been an increase in data breaches generally and around the world? or specific regions? This question comes up a lot and it's a very hard one to answer. We could be empirical about it and we could look at the the rate and the volume of data that's going to have been pwned. But the, the problem is that it isn't really a true representation of how many breaches are we having today and are they increasing? And there's several reasons for that. And one of the reasons is, is that very often there's a, a very healthy lead time between breach and learning of the breach. Now, LinkedIn's a perfect example. So that breach happened in 2012. We had a little bit of news about it, but it wasn't until 2016 where we went, oh, there's actually like more than 100 million records here. You know, so it's actually a big thing. Of course, some incidents we just never learn about at all. And then in terms of, of when I can actually get data and put into Have I Been Pwned, it's always a matter of waiting until, frankly, I have the time to run a community-centric pro uh, centric project. So th there's all of those challenges. And then, of course, it's like, okay, what about the big credential stuffing list where there's billions of records? Are they... A breach or is it just an aggregation of more stuff and then when we talk about more breaches should we be looking at sort of the severity of it like should we be talking about solar winds for example like is that a breach because it's so severe or should we look at something that impacted more people but maybe wasn't as bad i think the, the only the only sort of conclusive way i can answer this is, is to sort of look at the the drivers for breach and it's, I think there's a, a combination of factors which all compound and amplify. So we've got more people online and they're creating more accounts. We've got more services. Than, and also, I used to say all this before COVID. It's even worse with COVID now because everyone's at home doing more stuff. Yeah. So we've got more services. We've got more devices. I've got IoT stuff like all over my house. This is Zigbee. It doesn't have an IP address. But there's a lot of other stuff with IP addresses. We've got more cloud and cloud allows you to do stuff amazingly quickly and cheaply and screw stuff up amazingly quickly and cheaply. <laughs> so, so cloud is helping us get even worse. And, and then you've got this, this market, which you've seen before via the likes of things like Master Deeds, where you get an amplification of data because data gets leaked and it gets aggregated into something, yeah. then it goes somewhere, and then it gets leaked and it aggregates again. And you just end up with crazy, crazy, massive troves of data floating around. So I, I think that the sort of the most confident way I can express this is to say that all of the factors which contribute to a prevalence of data breaches are increasing and the factors which would reduce them, i.e. we make less mistakes, <laughs> don't seem to be happening. Now, would you say then following up on that, that governments or organizations or businesses are doing enough to, to combat this in terms of their practices it's, and any regulations, if, if necessary? Yeah, look, it's a little bit like that analogy of, uh, look, I keep cutting my fingernails and they just keep growing back. You know, why do I bother keep cutting my fingernails? <laughs> because we're trying to we're trying to maintain equilibrium, like at right about here. I think mine are okay now. Might need to cut soon, but you know, like at about that point. So uh, I, I think we are doing enough to maintain a degree of equilibrium. And, and the question is, could we further reduce the breaches or would we just be, by doing more, would we just increase the degree of difficulty and people would rise to that level? So I think that we've got to sort of ask the question of, of are the efforts that we're investing sufficient enough? 
being realistic about life as well. I mean, one of the big problems we got with InfoSec is that it, it does get expensive. Penetration yeah. tests are expensive. Equipment's expensive. Education's expensive. Like all of these things compound. Are we at a position where we could start to take money away from uh, innovation and feature development and keeping the lights on and redirect it to InfoSec? Like is the equilibrium there right? I think the markets sort of have a way of working themselves out. I know that that's not a yes or no answer in terms of are we doing enough, but that's the way I look at it. Okay, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Now, just a bit of an intro. I'm probably supposed to do this at the beginning, but it's worth doing it now. For people who don't know who's Troy and what he does and what, what, what got him into into tech and all that, can you just give us a brief like summary of who you are? Yeah, so look, I'm an and Australian. And why he loves craft beer and, and surfing. <laughs> and I'm having a bit of a break from beer. It's it's just gotten a little bit too a little bit too convenient, particularly when you're home the whole time. And I got a lot of stress in life. It's like, ah, uh, yeah. I've I've started drinking uh, non-alcoholic beer for a bit. But um, look, in terms of who I am, I'm obviously uh, Australian. I run Have I Been Pwned? But before that, I was uh, a software developer building software for the web. I got very very uh, involved in the web in about 95 when I started university and went through .com and, and had an opportunity to, to sort of ride that exciting wave and then spent about 14 years in a, a corporate environment building software for Pfizer, the, the pharmaceutical company who everyone okay. knows of now for doing the vaccine stuff. Yeah. I, I used to have to say, hey, you know what Viagra is? It's like, yeah, we're the guys who make Viagra. <laughs> <laughs> that was the only yeah. name that people, like, no one knew who Pfizer was, but they knew what Viagra was. But now, of course, everyone uh, reads them in the news because of the vaccine. So I did that until uh, until 2015 when when I went independent. And then since then, I, I run Have I Been Pwned. I do a lot of speaking and workshops. I used to travel yes. a lot and do a lot of speaking and workshops. I now do everything from here, which is why this room looks so cool now, because I've had to invest in actually like living out of it. And then, yeah, I keep writing the blog and I have sponsors and I've, I'm a strategic advisor for NordVP. I'm on on uh, one passwords board of advisors so I, I have some relationships there as well you know it, it, in all honesty I, I just get up and I do what I feel like doing what feels right on the day and that's that's a lovely position to be in that's a great thing and I think you bring up something important with, with the internet and especially with COVID I feel like the work culture of how we work has completely changed or it's going to completely change even after the vaccine I get this feeling that nobody's going to want to be in an office from nine to five every day after experience, even though it gets a bit chaotic working from home, depending on the environment, I don't think people would want to give away the flexibility of being able to work from home and not experience traffic, etc. It'll be interesting to see, won't it? I mean, I, I remember um, when I was in the corporate world, and it was, it was probably sort of mid-2000s, we started getting this, this inkling that we could work from home sometimes. And we went through all the sorts of things that a traditional company like Pfizer and many other organizations as well went through. It's like, if you're not present and we can't see you, then you're not working. So, you know, we need you to be in the office. And we kind of went through that shift of, all right, well, let's be more centered on the metrics of work as opposed to just, you know, do I see people walking around the hallways? And then we struggled for things like, let's get VPNs and let's have laptops so we can come and go. And we kind of, over many, many, many years, very gradually inched forward in this direction, you know, lots of work-life balance or is it work-life blend? Yeah, all of this sort of discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And it just felt like every step in that direction was a lot of hard work. And then we got to the beginning of last year and I thought, that's it, everyone go home. (laughs) We're all sort of, well, I cannot make Zoz at home anyway, but everyone else was sort of forced into this position. And I think you're quite right now, which is that even if we all get vaccinated and COVID goes away and it's like, you know, by the end of 2021, we're all back to normal, which isn't going to happen. But, you know, hypothetically, I just can't see us then turning around and unwinding all of that stuff back to where we were at the start of 2020 or anywhere even close. And, and I think that that's ultimately going to be a good thing. I think so too. I mean, it, it saves so many, and it brings about some sort of normality to people's life. You can spend more time with the kids, with your partner, etc. Now, one thing I've observed with you, I mean, you've got, as, you, as I said, you like, you like water sports and all that, but you've managed to somehow, even though I'm probably wrong, somehow working from home and working as an independent person have your own lifestyle designed if you can put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> like you can, you can decide to have a beer at, at, at whatever time, 2 p.m., you know, depending on how you work. Is that something that, is that, is that, is that something you intentionally did? It's a very mixed bag. Um, I'm actually writing a book at the moment, which is like a collection of blog posts over the last, what is it? dozen years talks about what was the reason of the post and then there's the post and then we'll hear all the other things happen after a lot of behind the scenes stuff i sort of explained in there like that the lifestyle i live today was always aspirational for me it was always something that i'd you know i'd love to be able to have live in the place i'm living i remember even as as a kid when i was living in this city i'd I'd look at the area i'm living now oh man like one day wouldn't that be amazing uh and to be able to not have another boss and to be able to set my own hours and that sort of stuff so it was always very aspirational and for the better part of nearly two decades, I just worked and worked and worked at the corporate job. And as I said, in one of my blog posts, I was really into investing in real estate. And I thought that was going to be my path forward and inching, inching, inching. But then when I got the opportunity to be independent and I just had the right foot in this industry and the right, I guess, brand for want of a better term, things just, just skyrocketed. And it's sort of given me these, these wonderful choices in life. And I, there's a blog post for everything, Tifo. So I wrote a blog post a couple of oh, years ago about, yeah, yeah. about financial tips for technical professionals. And one of the things I said in there, and this was something my, my father had always drilled into me, is he said, look, the thing about money is it's not necessarily that you can just go out and buy Ferraris all day, but it's like you now have a lot more choices in life. So the, the, the choices that it gives me is, you know, look, I, I want to stay working from home and do things like this as opposed to going to an office. That's a great choice. Um, yeah, lots of choices around things like you know, how much I want to work or how little I want to work. To be honest, one of the hardest challenges at the moment is because I enjoy what I do so much and because I'm an idiot and I say yes to everything. Like <laughs> I don't just think yes to you. <laughs> well, so, look, stuff like this is good because we didn't do any prep. It's like I got a I got an yeah. invite and then I went, oh, I got to talk to Tifo, you know, dial yeah. and we chat for, you know, whatever, hello. And then I'll go and play tennis or something like that and that's fine. Um, but but the, the problem is, is that there's so much to do and I've said yes to everything that I, I find myself stretching myself too thin, not because I have to, but because I want to. Yeah, I don't need the money. I don't have to go and do all these other things, but I really enjoy these things, you know? And and what's really changed with independence is rather than working because I had to, I hated working at Pfizer by the end of it, but I needed the money. And now it's kind of flipped the other way. It's like, I'm doing all of these things I don't know the money, but I, I, I want to do it because I enjoy it. So it was it was a big part of it intentionally, just going back to my question. To, to get I, to I, where you are now. It, yes and no. I, I, 
funnily enough, and this is what's sort of coming out in the book a bit, but I, I feel over time, particularly as I made that shift from Pfizer to independent, the goals became certainly that like the monetary lifestyle goals became much less important. And I just became much more engaged in what I was doing. And then fortuitously that massively accelerated my march towards the goals that I'd had before. So what I'm finding now is, is like the, the way I live and everything is obviously important, but I spend a lot less time thinking about it, but I have a lot more than what I did before, if you know what I mean. And what would you advise? I mean, now we're in this COVID environment, as we were talking earlier, we're in this COVID pandemic and obviously from almost everybody who can afford to is working from home. What would you advise as a person who's been working from home for such a long time on some of the conveniences, people, how people can structure their lives around that. I think probably the most insightful thing I can say is, is that everybody strikes a different balance. And, and one of the things that I don't like is you'll read a book about, you know, this is the way to be successful or how to work effectively from home or how to do work-life balance. And it will be like, you should do this, 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 and this. And I'm looking at it all going, I didn't do much of that. And I turned out all right. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's, it's very, very different for different people. So, yeah, for example, for me, I have a lot of trouble sitting still in one place so i will sit here in this environment for a while and then yeah very often i'll say talk to reporters and a reporter will call and i go okay cool i literally pick up my airpods which is sitting here on the desk and i go and sit down outside Walk around water and i do that i speak to friends and family and that sort of thing a lot i put on the headphones and i go outside and i walk around uh, or I take my laptop down, which is just there, and I sit on the kitchen table down there and I do some other things and I sort of keep context switching. And that that works well for me. I, look, I, I think the, the way people who have a normal job where there's an expected number of hours or output or something per week and they're not just absolutely in love with it, which is the vast majority of people, the vast majority of people aren't working for their boss for charity. It's like they actually need to eat. I, I think that would be quite different for them because they're probably going to be a lot more controlled around trying to set a better boundary between their work and their personal life. Now, for me, that boundary is just shot. Like there, there is no boundary, but that I imagine would be something that would be much more important to other people. Now, back to data breaches. I mean, have you, because some of the data breaches can be sensitive organizations sometimes not sometimes, almost all the time, don't like them being exposed publicly. Have you received any threats or even, God forbid, death threats about some of the... I did get a death Yeah. I got a death threat earlier this year. It's my first for 2021. Uh, oh, first for 2021. <laughs> wow. It's like you're expecting more. Uh, this, and this came in... In fact, uh, I, uh, I'm kicking myself. I didn't screen cap it. It came via Twitter DM. I didn't screen cap it, but I reported immediately. And as soon as you report it, you can no yeah, longer... Yeah, you can no longer see it. You can it. no longer see it. Um, and the only reason I'm kicking myself is because I didn't take it seriously. In fact, I was, I was laughing at it because this was related to Gab, which is the very right-wing right American wing, politics, yeah. white supremacist social media alternative. And they had had a breach. And I wrote it up 90% just here's the data this is what it's about here's what's in there and then there was 10 percent, which was yeah you know like my views don't really align with theirs yeah yeah yeah. and uh and some people got very upset about it and, and this particular person got a bit upset on twitter he was saying something to the effect of you know we're going to come and get you and i, I kind of joked with him so i was like mate if you come to australia it's a lot of hard work because you've got to go into two weeks worth of quarantine you would have cooled down by then you know yeah. like you're not let, let's be honest you're not it's gonna not going to happen yeah <laughs> so so I was just kind of joking about it, but yeah. it is still a little bit confronting to have someone express that. Uh, and of course, there are serious, serious ramifications if someone expresses something like that and they get caught too. So, so that happens a little bit, uh, but I, I've never had to take that seriously, fortunately. 
what happens a lot more is there'll be uh, either individuals that are unhappy that I have their data. And it's like, well, it wasn't me. The hacker did it kind of thing. You know, like yeah. I'm literally trying to run a service for people here. Or occasionally organizations who end up and have a been paying get upset. But um, it's very, very rare for an organization to get upset in any way that I don't know if there's ever been a case where I've actually been concerned about, say, legal consequences. There's certainly been times where I've ended up speaking to law enforcement agencies. And I think especially as how I've been pwned has grown and the reputation has grown and people know that it is a, a, a project for good. <laughs> and I'm not here just like, you know, running it to cash in people's data. That has helped a lot. And in the cases where I, I, there's one that I can think of where the site operators were very upset and they were claiming that there wasn't a breach and they were going to sue me. And then they realized that there was a breach and they kind of disappeared, which is fine. <laughs> Happens. I mean, that was my other thing to ask you is that does it sometimes happen that you have confusion by law, law enforcement agencies or government organizations that think that you're trying to fleece them or you're trying to shake them down because you're under service? No, I've, I've never had that happen. And it's, um, in fact, there's another thing that's going in this book at the moment, but one of the one of the things that I've found really interesting is every single interaction I've had with uh, law enforcement, government agencies, regulators has just been exceedingly positive insofar as they've been really, really nice people doing very, very difficult jobs, very underappreciated, normally viewed with a lot of suspicion and in many cases, hatred. Uh, the example I give in the book is I, I did a talk in London a few years ago and, and it was a, a massive user group and someone sort of said, look, isn't government always just trying to screw you? And, and I told pretty much the same story I, I told you, which is that I've always had very positive experiences. And, and the other thing is, of course, is that particularly people working as public servants are often paid like a fraction of what they could get in private yeah, enterprise. Yeah. But, but very often they're doing it because they really want to make a difference and they want to keep people like you and I safe. And I told this story, and, and after that, someone from the, the National Cybersecurity Centre uh, in, in the UK, which is part of their GCHQ um, uh, security organisation there, came up and we, we had some beers and a nice chat and, and has spent uh, quite a bit of time together after that, including getting the NCSC onto Have I Been Pwned and access to all of their data. So I've found everything there to be very, very positive. And there's now, oh, I think there's like 12 governments that are using Have I Been Pwned and have sort of publicly stated that there's there's another one in the pipeline who keeps emailing me reminding me i need to do things it's another email here from a three-letter acronym agency with some other really cool stuff we're doing that we'll be able to announce in a bit and i i think that by virtue of running this whole thing so transparently and openly that the the reputation sort of precedes me so by the time we actually come to have a chat you know everyone's really cool um and it's why i laugh you know things like this gab thing we mentioned just before one of the yeah, people yeah. that's very upset with me is like i'm going to talk to the fbi about this you know i'm going to let the fbi know what you're doing it's like yeah, they know me. You know, we're, we're, okay, maybe not completely like that, but yeah, we're yeah. we're good friends. I've uh, I've been to New York and spoken at their uh, the NYPD Cybersecurity and Counterterrorism Conference a couple of years ago to like roomfuls of FBI and DHS and then their counterparts from all over the world. Like there has been lots of opportunities to arrest me. Hasn't happened yet. Touch wood. So it's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, and I think on our in Africa, just across not just South Africa but across the continent. As far as data breaches go, I mean, we worked on the master deeds. There was a traffic fines one, if I recall, and there's been a couple yeah. of others. What's interesting is that a whole lot more happen and you hear about them through, well, in the infosec industry, you hear, like you talk to people and you know, something happened last week, but like there was one at uh, one of the big banks towards the end of last year, which was exactly the same scenario you mentioned earlier. One of their employees had access to all their investment banking uh, clients wow. data 
and he was running a spreadsheet because he was frustrated with how the system was working and he had it on his laptop and somehow either it's either he sold it that's one yeah. storyline that's going or the laptop was taken it's it's always so, someone making a mistake right always yeah. someone making a mistake that's, that's that's true but what's interesting unlike in in europe and i'd say north america we don't the, the disclosures are, are very little although like if you're in the industry you know that a whole lot more is happening so I, I have a bit of a working theory and I, I see this in India quite a bit as well. And, and the theory is that I think that in parts of the world where there are frankly much bigger problems to deal with, I, I wonder if stuff like this just gets pushed down the priority lists. And if, if I take the India example again, you know, they're dealing with a lot of things like poverty. And like when you're dealing with poverty and keeping people alive, the fact that someone had some PII leaks suddenly seems a lot less important yeah, than, yeah. you know, we've got over a billion people and a bunch of them are dying because they're malnourished. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. It could be true. Troy, I'm not going to take up too much more of your time. Thanks a lot for being with us. And Cheers, mate. Thank you for having chatting. me. It's nice to chat again. Remember to tell your friends, family and colleagues that the show is available to listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer or any other app that you use to listen to podcasts. Also, make sure to head over to www.iafrican.com forward slash radio. That is www.iafrikan.com forward slash radio. And subscribe to get notified on new episodes and any other iAfrican radio shows. Stay safe on the web.